G'day and welcome to the Hunter's Campfire Podcast. My name's Mark and along with good mate Ian, we're here to help with all things hunting. If you're looking to start but don't know where to begin, you want to make the most of your next trip away or even plan that hunt of a lifetime, we've got something for you. You'll find our podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon and plenty of others. And if you want more, head over to our YouTube channel, The Hunter's Campfire where we have plenty of how-to and hunting videos along with the full video production of every podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe and good hunting. All right, so um, yeah, welcome back. Episode two of um, The Hunter's Campfire. I think in the last episode, uh, we said that we'd try and cover a little bit of um, information about the gear that we take when we head out on um, not just our license hunts but just hunts in general i think um more focused around what we're probably used to doing hunting in queensland or out of queensland um i'm not sure we'll touch too much on what we do further south uh into victoria but um, we'll certainly talk about what we do up here um so i thought we'd break this down uh into um, some logical steps uh, and if, especially if we're covering our licensing uh i thought we might just kick off with um what are the mandatory items that we legally have to take away with us when we go hunting in our license country uh, it's listed um, i'm sure everybody knows it that's got an r license because they've done the test and they remember everything that was in the test right um, but uh, just in case you haven't remembered it all we'll, we'll touch off on some of those things uh, and there's a, a little bit we can talk about with each one um, uh, so i think we'll fire off with um, one of the first things that you have to take with you and i get lots and lots of questions about this uh, with new hunters and even people that have been in the field a lot, uh, and that's GPSs. Uh, Mark, what's your thoughts? What, what's your go-to GPS, mate? Um, to me, uh, I now use the Rhino um, 750, I think it is, which is the combination GPS radio. And there's a quite a specific reason why I went for that particular model, is that I now, because I have my younger son with me a lot more, um, and I'm, and if I'm hunting with another good mate and he's got the paired version of that, if I say, look, we're, you know, my young fella's a bit tired or we've got a game animal, we're going to head back to camp. We can actually, one, communicate very easily via radio or we can use a text message function that allows you to do. But also he knows where we are and we know where he is. So we can walk out pretty safely and he can keep hunting. But um, that's just a particular model that we use or I use. Uh, got some good friends who use the um, mobile phone app, you know, the smartphone app, which the... Um, Avenza. Yep, the ones that uh, Game Licensing Unit allow you to access. That seems to work pretty well. Um, it has, I know it has differing levels of, um, of uh, quality or detail you can get. Um, I was hunting in the Pilliga not so long ago with someone and they were using it and look, it worked really well. It, it certainly gave the function of a GPS and the fact that, you know, most people are now carrying their phones. You might actually say, well, it's, it's a way of kind of reducing the load because the phone is doing the job of the GPS as well as, as you know, as you're carrying it anyway. Um, with the radio, I always used to carry, a, you know, a five watt radio, very rarely used it. But it was there just in case. And that was because the way I generally hunt 
up to, as I said, now when I'm with my boy, is I was nearly always in line of sight with someone. So we weren't spread out apart. You know, we were close. You could see them. And especially with the blaze on, you know, I could see friends, how close they were. So the radio was more of a, I suppose, an emergency tool if we ever needed it. They never needed it. So um, I carried a radio for a number of years and didn't turn them on. So um, that's probably where I'm at with those items of technology. Yeah, well, I um, I certainly use Avenza. So Avenza is a go-to tool for me uh, on my iPhone. Um, it's a it's a great tool. It's actually a lot more user friendly as an interface than the GPS. Um, you've typically got a bigger screen. You can zoom in and out, pinch and touch. Everyone knows how to use them. They're great. Um, the 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 um, game licensing unit has recently changed the app that they use, and the maps that you get off the app are actually pretty poor. Um, there's um, I don't know why they've done it, and it's difficult through the app to download the Avenza map like you used to be able to. Uh, if you do it through the app, it doesn't work. Um, what you have to do now as a tip for the new guys um, or the older guys that are still struggling with it um, is you go to the to the same R-License website, but not in the app. Go to the website on your phone, and then lo and behold, there'll be a download link for the maps that doesn't exist in the app itself. Um Happy to answer more questions about that if people have got them, but there is a way to do it. Um, but I use that as my primary GPS, um, to be honest with you, because it's easy to access. Um, a, another trick is you stick the phone in flight mode, you'll get a couple of days battery out of it, and it will still function with the GPS note on it. So all of those features work really well. Um, it's got some great tracking features. Um, some people don't know that you can mark a waypoint, take a photo, and the photo sticks to the waypoint. And then when you go back and look at it, all of those features are there. So it's worth exploring. Uh, and you're right, there is a paid version as well as a non-paid, but seems to me that the main feature change um, between paid and non-paid is the free version. You can only download three maps at a time. And if you pay for it, you can get more maps, um, you know, but you can save them offline and do all those sorts of things. So that's my go-to Um I agree the Rhino is a fantastic product, but I put GPSs, if you're talking about Garmin-style GPSs, into three categories. Um, and and I when people ask me, I ask them what they actually want to do with it because there are three things that you can really do with them. Um, they all have GPS functionality and mapping, pretty much. There's a couple of them that don't have very good mapping, but most of them have great GPS mapping. Um, then you want to choose whether you want to track your friends whether you want to send a message to your wife and get the weather or whether you want to track your dog. And unfortunately, you can't do all of those things on one device. And that's because they use a different radio signal and a different technology for each type of tracking. Um, the Rhino uses the two-way transmitter to broadcast your GPS signal, which picks up on the other Rhino, which puts a waypoint on the map. Um, the Alpha uses a completely different antenna to track your dog, which connects to the dog's collar and can give you a couple of kilometres of range. Now, I'd run a, uh, an indicating dog for deer hunting, so um, I'm more concerned about her safety than my buddy's safety, unfortunately, because I've put more, more effort into her training than any of my hunting buddies. Um, and they have uh, the ability to keep themselves out of trouble most of the time. So I run the Alpha GPS to track the dog, uh, it's a mandatory requirement in our licensed hunting situations. If you take a dog, you have to track it via GPS. So I had no choice, really. And they don't have a radio inbuilt version of that. So, you know, it was one or the other, and I had to choose one. So that's the way I went. 
the other one that you can pick is um, download the weather and send a text message home, which is a fantastic feature in the InReach platform. So it's still Garmin. So it has all the same Garmin features, but you can pick and choose. Uh, so you can you can pay some money. I think it's about a buck a text to send a text home via satellite. You can also call in a weather forecast, which is deadly accurate. Uh, we've used them on the Southern Alps in New Zealand, and you can get by the hour accuracy on the weather, and it's fantastic. If I was going to the Southern Alps, would I buy an inReach? I would make sure we had one in the group. Not normally going to go there by ourselves, but um, you've really got to ask yourself where you're hunting and what you're going to use it for as to which sort of GPS you might choose. That's my experience with them. Certainly. Look, I did a review on the, a unit called the Zolio, and I was really impressed with that. Now, what that does is it turns your phone into a satellite phone. Um, and so that gave you a lot of those functionality that, you know, the, the always contactable or able to contact people and the weather report um, in on your phone. So, you know, there's an option there. There is a number of options you could go for. It really is what the kind of technology you want and what you want from it. The, one of the reasons why I've over the years stuck with um, the GPS units is I've got a really bad habit of breaking phones. So um, <laughs> often when I go, yeah, well, I, look, I've got a, I've got a, I had one in an otter box and I still broke it. So, you know, I just, it just is the way it goes. I'm just hard on equipment. So um, I tend to actually leave the GP, leave my phone with the car and uh, use the GPS because I tend, that, but that's just me. But I, as I said, I've seen people use um, the GPS or the, the, the uh, phone GPS system and that's worked very well and as I said we did a road trip as part of the review with the Zolio and you know we were out past um, or we we're on the Diamantina uh, development road and we were sending text messages to mates and we we're checking on the weather so you had full you know basically global coverage and in fact I used it on a hunt um, as part of the review back in July and again gave you full coverage it was just a, a small, almost, oh, I suppose it's showing my age, almost like a cigarette case-sized uh, item that you just paired with your phone and away you went. So that was a really interesting option. Uh, the way it operated, it used a subscription model and there was a couple of levels of subscription. And also, once you had the subscription for three months, you could then turn it on and turn it off. So if you were going away, you turned it on and so on, vice versa. And all it really did is it just paired with your phone. And once it paired, that was it. I carry a sat phone in my line of work. We have a few of them running around. Um, so I have a sat phone and a hard case that I take with me when we go to places that have no service, like the old or, you know, sometimes into the, the high country in Victoria and places like that. Um, the problem with the sat phone is you've got to turn it on and point it at the sky. Mm. Otherwise, it's not going to work which means you can't just have it turned on and waiting for, for, for phone calls to come in. So I usually schedule a time, it's mm. 10 o'clock at night. If wives want to call or girlfriends or boyfriends or whoever want to call, here's the number. You can call between 7 and 9 o'clock. Mm. We should be back at camp. Um, and I just pointed at the sky and at the phone rings. We figure out who's, uh, as somebody said, sending dirty pictures to who. <laughs> 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 well, what the, Zo um, the, the Zolia doesn't let you make phone calls. It lets you text. So okay. it was, yes. and in, I actually, I, I saw, I, what I saw about the Zolio was actually, it would just be handy if you did a lot of 
remote driving because, you know, you can still text. You obviously can't make phone calls, but you could text. So you can still stay in contact. And it was a very simple system, so I was quite impressed with it. So there's those kind of options as well. And there is a number of products that have a similar type of, you know, as you said, inReach being one of them where you can, I think, is there one called Spot or Spot? Yeah, spot, Spot's one. It uses a different satellite system, so they're, uh, not to bag them out, uh, that's probably not the right thing to do, but um, I, I've heard that uh, because they use a different satellite system, they can take some time to pick up an SOS um, and send a message out. But then I hear from other people that have got them that some the, the, the messages are instant, in, instant, and I don't know if that's just um, positioning at the time and, and, and luck or not, but... Um, anyway, I wanted to pick up on something else you said about radios, um, and I think it's the same for my GPS. Uh, what, what you do with your phone about leaving it in the car, I don't leave mine in the car. I use it as a primary, but I throw my GPS in my pack, and I don't use that really unless my dog's gone missing or my phone goes flat, and I've had everything go flat on hunts before, so we'll talk about batteries later. Um, but with the radio, I'm the same. I, I don't use it. Uh, I take it because you should, and, I, and I've actually downgraded my radio from one of those big unit in heavy things to a tiny little kid's radio. It's about that big. I bought it for a couple of kids we had running around here at some point. Um, and here at home, they were just playing on whatever channel. And some truckie came over the radio and started giving us what for because their kids were playing on the on the open channel. And I thought, fire out. And I, I asked him where he was. He said, oh, I'm in such and such a town. I said, man, that's 35 kilometers away from me. And I'm on these tiny little radios. Now, for me, the radio is, 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 is not really used, but I keep it in case I hit the button on the EPIRB and the helicopters are coming and they will know what channel the park's on. And if I need to guide searches in at nighttime or something like that, I can have a radio to talk to them once I know they're close and you can hear them. That's really the main reason I use it. I use it. In regards to that, you know, that, that true emergency situation, for a little while now I've been carrying, you know, the, the PL, you know, personal locator beacon, the PLBs. I've got it. There's one, an Australian one. It's, it's you know, it's literally that big. And it's got, um, it's got a, a fold out here. That's the one, if you can see it on the screen. That's the one I've got. Um, one thing I did like about that one, it's a bit strange-like, but if you, if, you can kind of reset it if you have an emergency and you can you can roll the aerial back in and you can reset it, which, I mean, hopefully you never have an emergency, but if you if you do, you probably want to be able to have it, use it again. So I went with that one as well, and I've been carrying one of them for a couple of years now because right in the bottom of your pack, you know, it's it's right there. Yeah, a, bit, a little bit more about this one a bit later. Because uh, uh, it's not on the mandatory list of things for our license hunting. I think they should be, to be honest with you, because there are... $200 item and they last for 10 years they should everyone should carry one of these but we'll talk about that in a sec um, really brief so we've spoken about GPS we've spoken about radio the only other things that are really on that mandatory list that I can think of um, blaze um, everyone should everyone should be wearing blaze um, and look I've seen hunters that say oh, I'm wearing blaze and they tie the cap to the back of their pack and they walk around with it like that they're not really taking it seriously. Um, there's a school of thought that says if you can't be seen, you can't be shot. Um, that's the other side of the argument. Um, the other side of the argument is if you can be seen, someone shouldn't shoot you. Um, 
uh, just wear blaze, bloody hell. It, it's it's a mandatory thing anyway, and you're, it's amazing how far you can see your friend's head walking through the bush over there. That's what, for me, there's a, the real learning for that was early days in Nundal, and we were we actually, a good mate of mine, Tim, and I were taking another guy out who had was having much luck, and he said, can I join up with you guys? And... I remember him walking down this hill face, heavily tree-covered, but he was coming down a hill, and I could actually see him coming through the trees. And I remember, I said, that's, that, that's Blaze working. It's not high-vis. It's, it's, it throws a slightly different light. And for me now, I actually don't not wear Blaze. Um, I just... I. Yeah, if, I'm on, if I'm hunting, I'm wearing Blaze. It, it, I, I just did, and even with, uh, when I'm on private lane, you know, the landowner says, oh, we could see you up in the hill, and I kind of go, that's the idea, you know I'm up there, so so I, I always wear blaze, but I know some people um, question, you know, the ability to do animals see it, or something like that, maybe they do. Well, that's the difference between, that's the difference between blaze and hivers. Uh, when the Red Deer Research Project was happening up here at the dam, uh, up near Toowoomba, I think it was a UQ study, um, there was a bit of a joke because the, on the on the very first day or the second day of the program, um, someone came in with these beautifully badged deer research project, red deer project, and um, embroidered hats, and they they hadn't bought blaze; they'd bought fluoro, um, and that that is a colour that the animals will see just like you and I will. Um, so there's a difference between fluoro and blaze, and there's been enough research go into it for us to think. And look, I've snuck up on plenty of animals wearing quite a bit of blaze on me and you know for my own peace of mind and safety i think it's the right thing to do and look to even uh, so is i my my boys i've actually bought them the little blaze you know, you know the fluoro work shirts and the yeah, half the half yeah. and half ones that they're, they're you know orange top and blue bottom and that's what he wears so you know and again to me the you know, the, the most important thing here is about visibility we'll figure out about the hunting um it's that making sure that he's visible and i can see him all the time so that's what we do so i've got him wearing that as well um so the only other two things that i've got on the list for mandatory um that are, are listed when you when you've got to go our license hunting is obviously you've got to carry the appropriate license if you're walking around with a rifle don't forget it it's definitely part of what you've got to carry and your written permission so the written permission used to have to be printed, no longer has to be. It's just got to be on your phone. But remember um, that often uh, you will email that to yourself or that written permission comes it comes via an email to you uh, or you can download it. Depending on how you run your phone, you may not download that to something you can get when you have no service. You have to be able to produce that written permission. So the best way to deal with that is to get it on your phone and take a screenshot so that you've got it as a photo and it's in your photo album because there's been a lot of people and the rangers have come in and spoken to them. They go, yes, I've got my permission, but they can't get it. So they're going to leave their hunting zone. They've got to go back to somewhere to prove it to the ranger and that just ruins your day. Uh, and they're just doing their job. Uh, plenty of people out there do the wrong thing. So just do that. It's a handy little tip. Yep. Uh, I, I still do the, the printed version. I just just do. And stick it in my pack, and I know it's there, type thing. So, um, how many way, copies uh, you got in the bottom of your pack, mate? Uh, generally, what I do is we usually burn them on the last night if we've got a campfire. <laughs> but, you know, the, if we when we finish, it's the good we use them for firelighters for the last night. So, oh, that's not a bad, uh, not a bad thing to do. Well, I think that's um, that's all the mandatory stuff. 
Yeah, I think that's uh, certainly for New South Wales. Victoria is a little bit different, but for probably for most people in Queensland who are looking to hunt with the R licence, I think we've covered the mandatory or the and uh, the, the requirements for it to get there and get out hunting. So I suppose the next uh, stage is you, you've met the legal requirements. What should you take or what and what do you need to take with you when you go away and you're actually putting boots on the ground? The essentials next? Yeah, look, look. I think essentials. Is, I'm, I'm interested to hear what you think essentials are because, it, uh, yeah, we might have different views on this. So, so that's okay. Yeah, my my essentials list is very short. Okay, so I'll, I'll go back to where we were before around the PLBs uh, or the EPERBs. I I think that these are essential. Um, they're small. They're light. They're 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 not overly expensive. I mean, it depends what you call expensive, of course, but they're two or $300 now for something like that. Now, this is the Rescue Me. It's the Ocean Signal PLB1. It's a simple unit. Uh, there it is. And to use this, all you do is pull up that antenna like that, flip the top over, and push the button. There's a test button there as well to make sure that it's working. Don't use that too often. It'll flatten your battery and you'll only get half the life out of this thing. Test it from time to time, of course, but that's as hard as that is. Um, now, the, the funny thing about these things is is we're also a bunch of blokes running around with the thing that says, I'm stuck and I want to call a helicopter. I give up. And the biggest problem with these things is you spend the money on them, but people don't want to push the buttons. So... Um, when I'm talking to new hunters or people within my branch of the Australian Deer Association and we're talking about these things, um, it brings up the second item on my essentials list, and that's first aid. So everyone should carry some sort of first aid kit, and that is to deal with splinters and cuts and abrasions and stings and things like that, stuff you can deal with yourself in the field. This is for anything that can't fix. And that's what I tell people. Don't don't try and think about, well, is it life or death now? Well, it may not be right now, but I'm seriously dehydrated. I'm at the bottom of a gully. I've been there. I haven't had to push the button because I had friends with me that got me out, but I've been in bad shape. And if I didn't have them with me, this would have been the go-to. And I wasn't that far from the track, but I knew I was in a bad way. And in and, and those situations, you should probably use these things. It's only happened two or three times in my entire life where... I know that I've been a bit out of my depth now. The dehydration in Australia is definitely one of those issues. Another one happened in New Zealand, and we had to make a decision what we were going to do in a situation that we were in, and um, it all ended perfectly fine. We all made rational decisions, but they're, they're difficult things to make sometimes. Rational decisions after 18 hours on the hill in the sleet when you're cold and you're tired. Um, so that calls a helicopter you don't want to use it unnecessarily, but a first aid kit can't fix a sprained ankle. And if you can't get out of the bush and it's going to be a cold night and there's a chance of hypothermia or something like that, and you don't have other things that are going to keep you alive, do you think you're going to get out tomorrow just by resting your ankle? Maybe, maybe not. Only you're going to know that at the time. But that's my advice. First aid kit can't fix it. Push the button and don't be a hero. Um and the last item on my essentials kit, Mark, and I'll get you to rebut some of this if you feel like it afterwards, um, that goes back to water. So first aid, PLB, and water are the essential things that you've got to put in your pack. Forget the hunting bit. Like, yes, you're going to need something to shoot an animal if you're not going to spear it with a stick that you've whittled. Um, 
but if you don't have water, you're not going to last. First aid kit's essential in that thing. And my recommendation, and a lot of people don't, don't use bladders anymore. Bladders became a big thing for a while. A lot of people now going back to bottles in their bag because it's a purposeful stop. I'm going to stop and I'm going to drink and I'm going to rehydrate and I know how much I'm drinking. In a bladder, you don't know. A funny story, um, in that one situation I alluded to a minute ago when I got badly, badly dehydrated, I was with one of my very good friends and we were out hunting and he had water and he was a very fit guy, still is a very fit guy and you'd take him anywhere, great backstop. Um, he was, well, I'll, I'll just give you my water, you'll be fine. And I don't know if you've ever been really tired and tried to suck water through a camelback straw. It's hard. It actually, it actually it takes a lot of effort to slow your breathing enough when you're completely exerted to use a camelback straw because you've got to get that up out of the bottom of your pack and over your shoulder. And that can actually take a lot of effort. It takes even more effort when your friend's camelback straw is cinched in his pack and it's, it's, it's drip-feeding you this tiny little bit of hope, um, but it doesn't actually give you anything. Now, when I got back to camp, and guzzled half a dozen beers, which were the wrong thing to do when I was dehydrated. I, I, I know this, but I wanted them anyway badly. Um, when I finally got to Andy's pack, he had a litre and a half of water in there. It was just cinched. So some of those things, you just don't work it out. But anyway, they're my three. Up, above the mandatory things, they're the three things that I think if you're walking away from your car, you've got to take that stuff. Look, oh. I, I actually... You've made me think about that 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 your approach to the uh, the, the locate locator beacon. I've never actually thought about it that like that way, um, and I and, and I'll, I'll tell you the rationale that that came to me to decide to buy one. Um, and I actually wrote a, a, a story about it for SSAA. for years. You know, I I was I was a single bloke, and for years I'd I'd been out in the scrub, and I kind of thought, well, you know, if I get snake bit, I'm set up against a tree, and they might find me bones. <laughs> That's right, they might find my bones, and you know that'll be it. You know, and that's the way you go. But you know, with family and all that stuff, I actually thought, no, I've actually I've actually got to be around, so. I, it fundamentally changed my approach to those things. So I, started, so I started to research those things. And as I said, that's how um, that was the journey that got me to the Garmin 750 was the fact I went, you know, I've got my son with me. He's young. He can't, he, you know, physically can't keep up with us. So, but I don't want to slow down my mate. So, you know, we, we are now for the first time going to separate properly. Mm-hmm. So how do we stay in contact when we separate? So that became a real thing. So um, in regards... I recommend hmm? Garmin Alpha with a dog collar on your son. Well, that's right. You know, I, I didn't think about that, to be honest. You know, so that's that's a different thing altogether, um, to be honest. You know, or some kind of little, some kind of dongle or something like that. In regards to the water, there is actually... Uh, so I used to... Um, I was involved in scouts and venturers as a young guy, especially venturers, and I became involved as a leader, as, as you know, as a, as a, as an adult. And there used to be this, uh, or well, it still exists. It's a race. It's called the May Venture, and it, it's a hike race. And they actually put the kibosh on bladders because of that very reason. That continually, you know, kind of sucking as you're walking along, and they found that they would empty out their bladder and they they'd run out of water. 
Whereas with a bottle, you do actually have to stop and drink, or at least you get some idea of what's in there because of weight and, you know, or the, or you can literally see the amount of water in it. So there is, I, I, I think there is some rationale to that. I prefer a bladder um, and I've carried them since mountain biking days. That's where I, in fact, where I first came across them when I was mountain biking and they were, you know, all it was was you just had this neoprene pouch on your back that had a bladder on it and, and you know, then they became more and more more complex. So I certainly use one of those. I've got a three-liter um, three camelback bladder. It's in a different pack. And I actually bought one for my son, a smaller one, because I didn't want to be carrying water for him. So he's got that. Yeah. And look, and I've been in situations... I've been in a couple of tricky situations and one of them was actually on a hunt where a third party started to seriously get in trouble and it was all to do with dehydration. That's where it came down. The guy was not match fit. He unfortunately told a pretty big story about his his experience and what he'd known and unfortunately, like, well, like everything, the bush kind of sorts things out pretty quickly and it went wrong pretty quickly. And, um, and the big issue was water. Uh, and, um, in the end, I actually was, um, uh, giving him creek water and he said, Oh, what if I get diarrhea? And I said, okay, you know, I said, well, dead people don't get diarrhea. So, you know, drink. And so that, that is, you know, water is an essential and I you know you can't stress it. I one year we were hunting in the Pilliga and it was um late January. It was 40 plus degree days. Big storms would come in through the day so the humidity was murderous and I shot the best public land goat, well in fact the best goat I've ever shot in there and it was 36 inch monster. And I dragged it out. I was so, so excited. I just dragged this thing out through the scrub. But when I got to the road, I went, oh, okay. You know, you push yourself too far. And for the rest of that day, I was done. But, you know, you can can dehydrate very quickly. Three of us went to the bottom of this nasty gully. And uh, we we had only planned on a morning hunt. But we'd gone so deep, uh, we decided... To, to, to rest up and then push on for the afternoon rather than retreat back to camp and then go out again because we covered so much country. We just wanted to see it was a bit further. And uh, that's where the bladder got me. I'm only thinking about this now, to be honest with you. The, the bladder uh, was the thing that made me come unstuck because it was gone without me knowing. I, I, I'd used it for lunch. I'd used it for drinking. I had the perfect amount for what we intended to go out for but I didn't have enough for the afternoon, um, and that's just the way it was. Now, I got three-quarters of the way back fine, but, you know, I was happy to have a helping hand getting up the steep climb back to camp um, because I had a headache and I was a bit dizzy and, like, I knew what was going on, but far out. It's a scary thing. Uh, I was just grateful that we were close enough to camp to, to get back to it. Oh, I've never would have, you know, associated you know, New Zealand Southern Highlands with, with dehydration. I would have thought, you know, the water would have been bubbling out of springs everywhere type no, thing. No, right? This was this was in a, this was in a, an R license New South Wales block. Oh, okay. Sorry, yeah. I thought, hang on. Yeah, so, yeah. So. When I started to learn about water management. That's it, yeah. That's it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so look. There's plenty of stories about New Zealand, but that's, um, 
But that brings up a good topic, Mark. What, um, I didn't have it on my essentials list, but what about water purification? Look, uh, filters or tablets? I um, So, so um, the reality is when we hunt in a forest, we always take in water. Um, I do have, uh, from my hiking days, we did, you know, we did some really long range hikes where you just couldn't carry that much water with you. And so you had to use groundwater. And so I've got purification systems. I've got a very nice, uh, I think it's Mountain Designs style one where it's a pump, you know, it, it, it pumps through. So you're pumping it through. So, and it actually hooks up to a bottle. So, it, you know, it's it's a very good system. And I, I've used it extensively or I had used it extensively in the past when I was hiking um, simply because that's all you had. But with the hunting, for me, now this is my, reflects my hunting, I'm never more than, you know, the day's journey away from the truck. So um, even if I'm overnighting, you know, I can always get back to the truck. And so we take plenty of water. Um, there's two things that we take. We take water and fuel. So if we go to hunt the Pilliga for a week, we'll take in close to 200 litres of water and similar in fuel. And we'll disperse it across the cars and it's there in camp because, you know, it's just that kind of big place. You're a long way from anywhere. You know, you would hate to have to walk out of there. So you don't want to run out of fuel. Um, so we, we take that with us. So I, I actually don't worry about purification because I've got clean portable or potable water that I brought from, from home. Um, and, uh, so yeah, we haven't really needed that, but certainly again, depending on, on what you're doing, where you, where you're going, it, it's an option, but I, I was thinking more for that, 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 that scenario where you're dehydrated and look at that creek water seriously, that could be stagnant and that could be anything to get some fluid into you. Sure. Um, it might be something I consider, I, I mean, I, I have a steri pen. Um, which is what the, I use the, in New Zealand. No, it's a UV, a UV pen that you stick into the bottle, um, push the button, the UV light comes on, you stir it around, and it kills 99.9 something something percent of all bugs. It's just a light UV purification. Uh, doesn't need tablets, doesn't need filtering. Sure, you might be drinking dirty water, but the bugs are all dead. Yeah, I haven't seen that. Yeah. The thing I the thing I don't like about it is you don't know whether it worked or not. <laughs> the light goes on, then the light goes off, and you're like, well, did it do anything? With it? You got to trust the technology. Yeah. Um, I, I, when I was a young fella and, and going through all of the things you talked about before, scouts and ventures and, and various different things, I, I just I just have pure tabs. I don't tablets. Mm. in the top of your bottles and you got used to the flavour. Even in New Zealand, drinking out of the creeks, we'd use that, um, funnily enough. But, um, yeah, I wonder what I would do here. Well, a couple of points is generally where we hunt, there's not a great deal of groundwater anyway. Um, so you wouldn't, you know, you'd be – You'd have to, you'd have to, you'd have to run out at a pretty convenient location because, you know, you might not be near any groundwater. Um, and for so me, you say, about, you say that about the Pilliga, maybe. Yeah. But a lot of those other ones, you know, certainly the Nundles and Hanging Rocks and places like that, have got plenty of creek systems. I would assume that I could get back to camp. That's all. Yeah, that's it. That's it. I'd assume that I could get back to camp. 
Um, or if I was in a situation, it's kind of, but look, and the other course, the other option too is um, for a little while, I should just take a very small burner with a, with a, with a metal cup in case I wanted to have, uh, you know, like a cup of soup type thing. And worse comes worse, I could use that to do, you know, I could, I could at least boil water um and that that would help but uh, i never really haven't been challenged by that one because again the way that we're hunting the forests we're never that far out of range i've only as i said i've only ever experienced it when someone uh wasn't prepared physically for what we were going to do and so we got you know we got it got pushed out of the ordinary there's i suppose if you kind of break this down into it we've spoken about water which obviously is is um the the, the you know one of the the building blocks here the other one is is you know food and shelter um so a lot of the questions that i get asked is often about you know what kind of tent or what kind of shelter or should i go swag and things like that should i take and it's it's a hard question to to answer without getting understanding of what the person intends to do, but one I suppose one of the maxims of all of those things is there is the unfortunate reality that is you get what you pay for. So if you were to hunt an R license, so you wanted to get into hunting, you want to start hunting the R license, and you were going to hunt some of the big forests and you were going to drive there, you wouldn't need super lightweight gear. Now, there wouldn't be anything wrong with buying super lightweight gear, but obviously super lightweight gear comes with a super a super price tag. But what I found is, is guys kind of gone the other way and gone the super cheap, and invariably that's let them down. So the question is that I would ask, I would I, I, I kind of put to people is, how do you see this playing out? Are you going to drive there? Are you going to set up a camp? Are you going to use that camp from a, as a base and move from every day and come back to? Or are you thinking about setting up a camp and maybe then moving from days away from that kind of camp? That really, like for instance, if you were going to you know hunt, like a lot of guys who hunt in Victoria, you know they set up a base camp and then they they you know they take it from there. So it really comes down to what your intentions are about what your what how you want to hunt and how you how you envision that hunt playing out over the days. But I think the 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 the, the rule of thumb is buy the best you can. So that doesn't necessarily mean buy the lightest tent, but buy the the tent that's got the best components. And, and you know if you've had anything to do with tents, you know that generally. The walls don't split. It's the you know it's the it's the tension points. It's where the gussets are. It's the poles. It's the crappy pegs that bend. You know that basically bend when they see dirt. It's all those kind of things. So spending the money and getting a better quality tent, even if it's not the super lightweight stuff, is is a good investment because um, you're going to use it. It's going to get used properly. So you need something to get through. Now, I have to admit that I'm a bit of a gear junkie. And my stuff is good, um, but it's taken me some some years to get up there. So I actually do have a lightweight tent that I that I take well, away with me. It, so I got a, 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 a Mont, one of the Mont series lightweight tents, but it's Australian one brand. it's one of the bigger lightweight tents because for me, um, again, thinking about who who's going with me. Um, so, but I know that if I'm going with the young guys. They're not going to hike for a great deal of 
distance. So even if we are going to do overnight on foot, we're going to hike. We're never going to travel a great deal of distance. So I'm comfortable carrying with, with what I've got. And, you know, the answer is, oh, what if you want to go further? Well, when they're old enough to go further, they can start carrying gear as well. You know, there's two of them, so we can spread gear amount. So I bought good quality gear, but it's not the super lightweight stuff. Same with sleeping bags, uh, sleeping mats. Um, I know a lot of people prefer f- swags. I just personally have never been a swag person, um, and that's probably because I started by hiking. So it was always about what you had to carry. So swags kind of eliminate that. Um Though, you know, as I've got older and, and softer and weaker, you know, I do I do enjoy a, a, a reasonable um, thickness self-inflating mattress. Uh, you know, I used to sleep on the little three-quarter things that were basically like, you know, Vegemite toast thin, and I'd sleep on that for, we- for weeks on a time and kind of spring out of my, out of my back, you know, my, my, my um, sleeping bag ready to go another 30 Ks, but those days are gone. Um, so I do like a bit of comfort. Um, when I'm asleep. For a while, we used to use stretches, but um, I actually have gone away from those things. And I think that's another big part of this whole experience for people is that don't be don't be scared to experiment. You know, you'll figure out what you you you'll you'll figure out eventually what the camp you want suits you. And if obviously if you've had camping experience or other experience, you take that with you. But if for those who are just starting out, you'll figure out what you do. So don't be too worried about getting it right first time. Get out there, explore, you'll realize, well, maybe that's not right the, the kind of setup I want. Or and what I've found over the years is you tend to get less gear but better gear that does more jobs. So it's the same with the, you know, the sleeping. Same with, you know, you've got to sleep, you've got to obviously drink, and you've got to eat. So what what does your camp kitchen look like? Again, that reflects what you're going to do. If you're going to have to carry your kitchen, obviously you want the smallest, lightest kitchen you can have. If you're driving there and you're in your ute, your truck, and you're going to set up camp, you've got the ability to, um, you know, spread out a little bit and make yourself a little bit more comfortable. And that leads in itself into things like meat prep because, for me, one of the essentials is to bring back game meat. So I have a fair bit of effort into meat preparation. So I take a very, very small esky or a cartridge for myself, but I take a very, very big esky with the intention that I fill it full of meat. Um, so, and so I've got one of those sitting there, and that basically stays sealed until we start putting things into it. This idea of, of, of having one esky that can do two things sounds really good at home when you've got access to ice, but if you're out there in summer, you want to keep your ice as long as you can, so you don't want to be opening up an esky that otherwise that you're just going to put meat in. You want to keep it sealed, keep it closed. And you know I've got friends who still do the old trick where they put the old blanket over the top of them, wet the blanket just to keep it cold because you want to keep that meat on ice so you've got to keep that ice together so they're kind of the 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 camp got a good camp you're comfortable you can get out there and hunt you say you can get out there and hunt so that's probably the gear list for me that's the next step down from the actual you know the things you must have when you go out so i um i'll trump you on the old and softness statement uh (laughs) the old air mattress not quite cutting it for me i uh I drag a camper trailer around with me. He's got a queen bed and an electric blanket. 
Well, it doesn't have an electric blanket in it. That's a lie. But it has a, a nice queen bed, a good fold-out kitchen, and um, it now um, uh, has a, you know, and it has a, a walls tent annex that goes around it. And I've just installed a, um, uh, an, a tent stove. So inside my tent, I have a hot box that has an oven that I can cook pies or pizzas or whatever I want for the camp. Uh, now, granted, I um, I bought this uh, so my family could go and enjoy camping uh, with a little bit of luxury, um, but I do a lot of mentor hunts uh, with the branch, uh, with the ADA branch. Uh, like this weekend, we're going away with um, with eight of us. Uh, we've got uh, four mentors and four mentees uh, buddied up, and it becomes the, you know, the, the communal camp. Uh, that people can use the kitchen and make a coffee and, and do different things. But, you know, if I was to go to the Pilliger, it would be in tow behind the Ranger. It certainly is when I go anywhere else, Nundal or, or Severn or what have you. But um, if I'm going and ranging, like we took it to Victoria and it was a great base camp in Victoria. Um, but, yeah, you then range away from that for maybe a night or two and then you've got to be set up for it. And I agree that the equipment is important. Um, buying the best you can is important. But I also... I don't think you should be scared of buying second hand when you're getting into this and figuring it out because there are gear junkies like uh, uh, like Mark here uh, and myself uh, where I've got everything from the the, the single cocoon tent I've, that failed because it was made in China for, for small Asian people, not for big Kiwi lads. Uh, I can't even roll over in it without dragging the whole tent with me because it hits my shoulders. So that was useless. I've tried hammocks. I've got the Hennessy hammock set up, which I thought was going to be a beautiful way to do it. But, man, if you don't get that right, you're cold at night time. Um, so, you know, by the time you have the hammock, the undersling, and the bits and pieces that go with it, it's it's the same weight, if not heavier, than a good quality small tent, which is more versatile because you don't have to go and find trees. And I can tell you, you don't find them on the mountaintops everywhere you go. So it's a bit of a pick and choose. Like you said, what do you want to do? Um, you need to gear up for that start somewhere i am a fan of the swag even when like we do some very long trips down to victoria where it's a 14 or 15 hour drive um to where we're going and i tow the camper trailer but i don't set the camper trailer up when we stop in the middle of the night i throw the swag underneath it and i just sleep on the swag and um there's there's more than one occasion where you just do an overnight that the swag is quite a a, a good way to go uh, but it's bulky it's big and if it's if it's not in a base camp it's virtually useless you're definitely not going to be dragging it around on your shoulder through the bush as you go from camp to camp to camp. So 100% agree with that. Um, but I find some of those little luxuries are nice when you go back to camp. Um, you know, if you've got cold beers, if that's what you want to do when you have a relax around a campfire, then, you know, then that's nice. But you're right, separating that ice. You know, um, you've got a fridge and an esky. You know, we sort of run a fridge and two eskies. One's the meat esky, one's the you know, in and out for drinks thing that's going to gonna lose all of its ice a lot faster, but you've, you've got to learn to manage that, and that's trial and error because I'm sure that um, there's more than one of us that have gone home with meat hoping like heck that it doesn't spoil because your ice has disappeared faster than you hoped it to be. So Yeah, it does, that's for sure. Um, I know Moseski's got multi-day ratings, but to be honest, I've never really had anything that stretches that long, so you have to be very careful for it. Um, 
And buy block ice instead of crushed. Yeah, block ice. And, you know, you, you still can buy dry ice too, you know. that You've got to yeah, order yeah. it. Yeah. One of the guys I hunt with bought, bought, used dry ice, you know. It does last for five, six days, but you've got to yeah. – he's literally got to order it and pick it up. But that that's options. Look, I mean, I think uh, – I no doubt agree that you have to find your level of comfort. And that's what it is. So um, you've got to find those things that, you know, that that this is an enjoyable activity. It, it, you know, this is not trial by fire or something like this. Is, you know, this is not, the, you know, how how hard can you make this? Uh, yeah, you want to you, you make, make it, you want to make it as well. Well, you know, how, how, how much grief can I put myself into? Maybe that you know when you're when you're twenties, that's what you're part. But I know maybe no, maybe not. But the thing is, I want to hunt as much as I can. So I want the things that help me to hunt. Hunt, sorry, comfortable camp, come good sleep, food. I want them to be right because that translates into me being you know more energy, better sleep, better turned on out there and hunting. As long, because when we go, when we go our license hunting, we hunt sun up, sun down. You know, we come into camp late after dark, so I don't usually have, uh, a, you know, uh, a grandiose meal. I have a good meal, but I have a simple meal because I'm going to be cooking it at in the dark after a day out on the on the trail. I tend to take food that I can eat while I'm moving because I don't want to go back to camp at lunchtime to start to 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 go back to camp to go away from hunting to to eat i'll i'll eat on the move but that's the approach that i take so i want everything to support me being hunted sure and there's this there's time in the place yeah there's time in a place for um for going super light you know some of the trips we've done um you know we've sought the advice of um some of the search and rescue people when, when it came to buying tents um, they recommended to us that we buy the MacPack Minaret tent. It's a one and a half man tent. It's got a vestibule for your for your bits and pieces in front. You know, I'm a big guy. There's enough room for me and rifles and boots and everything smelly that came off you at the end of the day to you know stick down the end of your tent, things like that. But um, we got smashed one night by this most most incredible storm I've ever been in, and we were camped on a ledge. Right, the hill came down here. We were on this ledge. There was a bit of a tarn, and then off it went. And we were camped on the edge of this this ledge here with a little bit of a rise between us and falling over the end. And that thing came down so ferociously. Uh, we were almost giggling um, with hysteria <laughs> as we got belted that night. And all of our tents were in a line along here. And we knew the storm was coming because the inReach told us it was coming. And we got down and we triple pegged everything and we put rocks all around our tents to hold everything down. Um, and those backpack minerals did not move. They, they, they. It felt like you were going to get lifted up and just thrown across the cliff. Um, but they, they didn't come out of the ground. Um, some of the other tents did. Um, most of them survived pretty well, to be honest with you. There was the Alps Mountaineers brand tents that were there. Um, I think one of them got nailed a bit more than than ours, but mainly because it was more like a three man tent. I think it had a bit yeah. more height and it caught a bit more sail things like that. But yeah, seek the advice of people when you're going to go and do some serious stuff because um, there's, there's some definite gotchas in there. Um, one thing you said a minute ago about looking after the meat, uh, what's in your what's in your pack? Right, so you, you, you've walked in, you've found your game, you've shot it, it's on the ground. 
what are you pulling out of your pack next? Sure. What, what have you got in your in your processing kit that people should consider? So my processing is a two-parter. So I have uh, so what's in my pack is usually uh, an well. There's obviously a knife. Um, so I usually carry a couple of knives. I got a small, very lightweight knife that actually sits on my bino harness. So I've got that handy. And then I usually carry a heavier, more substantial knife in my pack. And that knife is is bundled up in a um, a meat bag. Uh, one of the meat backpacks. So the backpacks specifically designed to haul meat. And there's also a, a, a stay sharp sharpening um, little little sharpening gadget there with it. So when we take meat, so when after you know shot an animal, it's on the ground. What we'll usually do, depending on the time of the year and where we're at, we'll either try and take the whole animal or we'll go no, take pieces. So um, if it's cold weather and we can we can drop the guts out of it and leave it for retrieval later, we'll do that. Usually we'll put it up in a tree. So we'll gut it, so we'll drop the guts out of it, ring it, throw it, get it up in a tree um, to let it cool down. Um, if it's hotter area, we'll go, okay, look, take bits. So usually like, you know, the and the bits you always take if you're going to take meat, unless depending on how good the other person's shot placement it is. So obviously not wreck meat. So your your ears, your ears, because often things like goats don't have as much front as they do rear so the way they're built the the, the hindquarters is much better than the, than the forequarters so we take hindquarters and things like back straps and of course there might be a head involved in this too you might go well that's a good billy so i want to take the lot so that goes into the meat bag um and so then what i do is the backpack i get on i'll kind of do a bit of a swap so i'll put the backpack i've got on on the front put the meat bag on my back so I can still walk out with the rifle in my hand and we'll walk out that way. And I just break it down to major components. I won't even usually take the take the skin, the, the hair off it, the skin off it, because I think that protects it while it's, you know, the best way to protect it. So when we get back to camp, then we actually have the setup for meat processing. So I'll have different kinds of knives. I'll buy, I, and in my camp knives, I actually have a, a plastic box, which I call my kill box. And it, in it are, you know, reasonable quality butcher's knives. You know, uh, the plastic handles, the, what, what a butcher has in, you know, what, what you'll see in a butcher shop, a steel, and then all the things like calico or plastic and or things to, to bag it up to get it on ice. And that's the way that we've done it for a while and when there's a couple of us what we'll do is when we get the meat back we'll actually have a bit of a you know not working beat but we'll have a process we'll process everything once to get it on ice so there's a there's really a two-part step for me and if it's you know if it is cool enough and it's the right weather we'll leave it there for a while and come back for it if it's not we'll go okay we've got this animal we've got to now get back to camp or get back to the truck depending on what we are and get this on ice as quickly as it can so it's again it's a it's a process of elimination based on your environment how far away you are from camp or the truck what kind of animal you take and and so on so and i'm very i'm very much for taking meat so even if 
Mm. You know, um, even if I'm going to, you know, it, even if it's for the dog, I want to take something. It, to me, it, it's part of the process. So I, I'm going to look at that animal and make a decision. Yes, I'll take meat off that animal. No, I won't. Um, so, for instance, one year we were hunting in the Pilliga and it was the year that we got the most pigs. It was also the year that I never took a scrap of pig meat. You just looked at that thing and said, "I don't, you know, I don't even want to touch that thing. That is not a healthy animal." Um, other years, you, you know, literally, I remember one of the first pigs I ever shot in Nundal. Mate, it looked like it come off the farm. You know, it was just black. Other than the fact that it wasn't, you know, you know, rosy pink, it looked like it was a farm animal. You know, it was so healthy. And I recently shot a uh, pig up in the the Brisbane Valley. It's, in fact, the biggest pig I've ever shot. I'm pretty sure it was my first real tonner. Again, you kind of think that's that's like it's, you know, that's what KR Darling Downs have on the, in the meat processing. Mm. So it all depends on the environment. Deer is a bit different, usually deer. I have heard people tell me that they've had experiences where they've seen very poor deer. I've never seen a very poor deer and I've never seen a very poor goat, but I've also heard people say that at times they've seen goats that have been in very poor condition. But generally those two are pretty safe animals in terms of meat. But if you follow things like hygiene, say for instance, um, for years I used to take those, um, you know, latex gloves. I still do. I mean, I just, just, I just break them. This is a, they're, they're, I'm like you know a teenager with a condom, you know I'm all, all thumbs. So I now actually just have these big black bloody heavy gloves that I know I can get my maulers in that I won't split, and that's what I use. You know they're they're like you know dishwashing gloves. Lost a bit of dexterity to them, but they're strong. They don't break. I've got no problem getting them on. You know, they don't matter if your hands are a bit sweaty or anything like that. They go straight on. So I use those always. It's an interesting thing you raise. I, I've always um, taken a plastic bag, like a little Ziploc bag with, you know, six pairs of rubber gloves, uh, uh, latex gloves, and um, that's not to keep my hands clean. For me, that's that's to keep the meat clean. You know, if you're yeah. in the gut cavity and something's busted, once I'm dealt with that, I can take them off and I've got clean hands to deal with the meat. I can put another pair on if I want to. I always do that. Um uh, it's funny. Uh, I, I sometimes ask people what their ritual is before they go hunting. Like, do you have a ritual? Is there a thing that you do before you go? Um, funnily enough, the thing that I do, the last thing I do before I step into the car and head off is cut my fingernails and my toenails. Oh. Uh, it's always been a thing. It was a military thing. When I went, when yeah. I was in the army, it was an, always a thing. You never leave base without doing your fingernails and your toenails. Um, because if your toenails aren't short, you're going to hurt yourself in your boots. Yeah. And if your fingernails, aren't short that's it that's bad hygiene um that just turned into if your fingernails aren't short you're going to rip your latex gloves off you just got to poke your fingers through uh, yeah. like you were talking about a minute ago but um you know i always remember that and i've, I've found that the latex gloves are a good idea uh, on the same i carry a bit of rope and a, and a plastic gimbal um because i prefer to, to 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 gut out and prep the animal whether i'm carrying it whole or in pieces i prefer to do it in a tree than on the ground uh, it's just a lot easier. Gravity helps you with that process and you're not mucking about with it so much. Um, but there's not a lot else that I carry in it. Um, and I only carry the one knife. I don't, I don't, I try and try and get people not to carry multiples of everything because you're often hunting 
in pairs and your buddies usually got the same things yeah. that you have. Um, the other thing I suggest that people do is get all that crap off your belt. You're not Rambo and you don't need to quick draw on anyone. Um, put it in your pack, get it out of the way. It just gets caught up on stuff. It's it's really not necessary uh, to have all sorts of stuff hanging off your belt. Sure, you've got bino harnesses and things that you can attach stuff to for quick access, but um, I've always found that people get stuff stuck everywhere um, and that can be a, a bit of a drama. One thing um, that I, I, I've recently added to my kit bag and I sort of emptied my pack as we were talking about this that not a lot of other people carry, but I think they're a great idea. Yeah, no, I carried secretaries for donkey's years. Man, um, when you go into a bit of new country and you don't know where you're going and you come across some really thick bloody fire regen or something that you can just, especially if you're going into an area where you find some good game or some good sign and you want to go backwards and forwards into it, you can cut yourself a nice quiet track and you can be in and out of there silently every day rather than bush bashing. Um, it's such a good idea. Uh, and the other reason I do it is for the dog, because what I stand on to get out of my way becomes her obstacle. If I'm trying to make a track into a nice area that we can sit over and glass over, I try and cut that out of the way so she doesn't have to go through the blackberries that I've squashed down into her path. But anyway, just something else that came to mind. I carried a, um, a set of you know shears for years, but what I, I I've gone to more lately is I've got this. It's very good quality. Um, uh, Japanese fold-out little handsaw. And the reason I went for it is, one, it does help with things that like cutting timber, but we've started especially, there's a, we do a trip every year where we go for fallow and we go for meat and we'll take, you know, some years we've brought back, you know, the equivalent of two whole carcasses. And so I actually use that saw to, to go through pelvis as well. So I mm. kind of use it for, for both jobs. And you can use the secretaries to go up through the brisket and open them up as well if that's how you yeah, like right. to do it. So, yeah, they, they, they certainly are a very handy thing. With stuff on your belt, um, what I find is one of the problems with people wearing stuff on the belt is not so much it's on their belt, but the way it's attached, it's far too flappy. Mm. And that's what gets caught on things. And the other thing is even if it doesn't get caught it's noisy and so it's like this flap 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 mm. flap flap you know every step flap 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 you know bang 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 so i think when it comes to things like stuff on your belt or wherever it is um think about how it's secured and does it make a lot of noise or not so you can have it on your have it on your belt if it's secure if it doesn't move it doesn't get caught but if it's flapping around i i totally agree you know you've got to make sure it's there's no issue um uh, having it in your having the knife in your pack and it's a funny thing you know people say oh like and generally people who don't hunt go oh you're hunting pigs do you carry a knife and i go no i carry a 308 you know, yes. if I can't kill that pig with a few shots of a 308, I'm not going to then rip out the knife and go, 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 you know, go tuss, tuss, tuss the blade with it. I'm going to shoot it. It's what I'm going to do first and foremost. Yeah. And I'm going to keep shooting it until it's on the ground. So, you know, if, 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 it, if my shooting comes down that I need a knife, then I probably need more range time, not a knife. 
Um, other than the other thing, I mean, there's a few things we haven't covered, which are the basic, you know, w- what are you hunting with? You know, you know, obviously we, we're going to be carrying binos. Some of us will carry rangefinders and some of us won't. It'll depend on a number of things, and that's going to be the type of country you're going to. You know, a lot of close quarter stuff, you just don't need it. Inside 200 metres, you don't need it. You just don't need it. Um, but if you're going to go and do some big open top stuff in Victoria or in New Zealand, you're absolutely going to need it, and you want to be prepped for that longer-distance shooting as well. Um, but that's certainly in the pack. Um, there's lots of other little bits and pieces that sort of go in mind, but nothing that really springs to mind that's, that's sort of mandatory. You really should have it in there. People will put little bits and pieces in their pack that they want to take, but I think we've covered the majority of the things that I think are really important. To me, rangefinders, binos, optics, rifles, that's where the real interesting stuff starts to happen. And, you know, I, I was worried that if we started there, we'd never stop talking about it. So I, I certainly wouldn't wouldn't mind discussing that. Before we get there, I think one of the other big things that people seem to uh, really spend a lot of time chewing over is clothing. Now, um, one of the reasons why um, I think a lot of people, uh, well, look, uh, camo is 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 an, an obvious choice, but what I found that with a lot of the camo gear, there's there is certainly quality issues within a lot of the camo gear, and again, so a lot of the high end stuff, it's more like it's. Um, I think the benefit of again spending money on your gear in terms of your clothing is you actually get better quality gear that's designed to spend longer time in it's got you know wicking it's got heat dispersal or or for instance when we go when we go down south in a couple of months all my winter gear is all kiwi gear it's all kiwi gear because you know they make good winter gear so i think clothing it's not so much about what is the best camo pattern is what is the best clothing for the for the for the environment you find yourself in because i very rarely wear camo i just wear good quality outdoor gears which generally happens to be hunting clothing so the closest i have to camo is olive drab or, or green and not even all my stuff is even green um but that's generally where i find myself um Conversely, when I'm hunting anywhere in summer, most of my stuff isn't hunting gear. It's simply really lightweight workwear in many instances, you know, because it's hot, it's dusty, it gets beaten up, you know, you know, there isn't any way of, of getting around the heat. So things, you know, so I wear light cottons and things like that, which are often workwear more or work or fishing wear type gear rather than the camo, because generally most camo is built for not cooler climates, but certainly not stinking hot weather. Point that, um, like if you're buying hunting clothing, you're buying something that's fit for the purpose that you're actually trying to use it for. Um, so I find that if you're going to go and try and find the right type of uh, pants or shirts or what have you uh, to go into the bush and, and, and deal with those conditions, it's going to be a hunting line of clothing. Uh, a lot of the mountaineering clothing um, that you'll find, it's really good for mountaineering, but they're, they're probably not bashing through the same sort of stuff that we are and putting it through the paces like we are as well. Um, some of the military spec stuff that they have, it's really heavy. Um, you know, it's it's 
you know, it, it's made out of some really crazy um, thick material. It's got to last a lot longer again. So um, they put their stuff through their paces. So a lot of people sort of lean towards that. Um, I personally don't. Uh, I find that you pick a brand, um, sample it, borrow some stuff off your off your um, off your mates. Uh, I pick a brand because it fits me. Um, yes, it's the right technical product to do the job, but uh, out of the the major brands that I've dealt with before, one fits me particularly well. It's made well. It's consistently made well, and the sizes don't vary. You know, sometimes you can buy a pair of pants and you buy the same pair of pants and that doesn't fit you. Um, you know, a good quality brand, they have quality control over that. And and let's face it, as much as we like to support our local shops, they don't always have a good range of product. Uh, Australian shops aren't huge, especially in the regions. Some of the big ones in, in the capital cities may be, but if you go to New Zealand, you go to a hunting and fishing store, you just sit there and you go, oh, look at this, I'm in Utopia. It's, it's what an amazing place I've walked into, but Australia just doesn't have the same sort of thing. So once you get used to your brand, you, you're typically going to go and buy that stuff online. And when I want to go and buy another pair of pants, I know the size and whether it's shorts or longs or winters or what, it's going to fit and I can be comfortable with that. So that's sort of how I pick mine. Um, I have found that some of the brands do have a really good summer range of equipment. Um but it's horses, of course. It depends what you're doing. I, I tend to do a lot more fishing in summer than I do hunting. Um, I, I I had a, a fun experience up in uh, the Northern Territory with buffalo one year, and it was stinking hot. And I put my tail between my legs, come back, and said, "Stuff that! I'm going fishing next year." Uh, and I and I and I keep my hunting for the cooler months. Uh, but that's me. Uh, everyone everyone's a little bit different, and again, I'll pick their gear to suit themselves. Um, but sample it, see what you think. But it, See, with in summer, like so, I've been hunting basically every couple of weeks for the last two months, and yeah, it's starting to cool off now. But for me, a big part of my summer hunting attire is actually geared towards sun protection as well. You know, mm. I'm sick of getting pits, bits cut out of me every year when I go to the dock on on the yearly visit. So you know, I now wear full fingered gloves. Um, I always wear a long shirt buttoned down. I don't roll sleeves up anymore, and it's a fishing shirt, so it's it, it's it's an uh, green or olive fishing color, but it's a fishing shirt, so it's very lightweight. Um, I, as I said, I wear I usually wear like a, a work style pants because you're bashing through scrub, um, boots, gaiters, neck protection, and the neck wrap, and a hat. Um, that being said, on the very last hunt I did, which was only last Friday, it was it was uh, it wasn't cold by any by any means, but it was certainly cool for up here. And I was walking through the wet grass, and because it's always wet. And uh, about half an hour in, I went, eh, I might have to start thinking about you know the, the getting the winter gear out there. I'm just starting to feel yeah. it on the wet grass, you know. And boy, you know, by the time I got back, because it's a small block, so you know, usually, how you, I hunt it, the way I hunt that one is, is I do split it between the morning and afternoon, and in at after ten, eleven o'clock, I threw my gear out to dry, and it does dry because it still warms up during the day. But that was that challenge. But if you're somewhere like you know, uh, the New England or Lara in the Victoria, you know, you are hunting completely different environment. And you need sure. you need to really give yourself consideration 
for your for for your gear there you know you're going to put it into a much harder harsher environment in terms of the cold so for instance as I said our trips coming up our first real winter trips coming up in the beginning of july it doesn't snow there but it can get feel like it's going to snow it gets that cold for us so all my gear then for that trip is basically dedicated hunting gear because that's what it's fit for purpose and there's a particular brand i like they make really good gear as you said you know what you get is good quality stuff it works very well so that's my my winter so for me really the hunting gear comes out in winter in in uh during summer i tend to get away with more you know outdoor summer gear so that's just but that's certainly a consideration but you know that being said there's always boots i've all i i I, in fact i think you know i've got like 12 pairs of different different types of boots and two pairs of shoes i either wear boots or i'm barefoot i don't very rarely wear shoes so i always hunt in boots um and i and i and i've tried synthetic boots i've tried really really good quality well-respected brand synthetic boots and the circle always comes back to quality leather boots it, I, I just can't seem to leather hiking boot yeah i i there's a couple of brands in the hiking boot um the italian hiking boots like um zambalan i tend to come back to if i can find them on sale or i can find them and in fact one of the big um, outdoor stores here has now started carrying them i'll go and buy a pair and because they will last me for years they fit me again you know it's fit it's finished it's built for purpose they are hiking boots um they can be you know if you they are hard soles so there is that noise issue but i mean that you just have to be aware of that I did for the summer. I bought a pair of American hiking boots, um, or what they call upland boots, and uh, they're no good on hills, but they're fantastic for hot weather because they're not they're they're, they're uh, not insulated. They are leather, but they're fantastic for hot weather. They're ripple soles. You know, you can sneak around in those things, and they're incredibly comfortable. So that's kind of like um, summer, winter. Um, I- yeah, yeah, I'm the same. I I had a pair of um, I've had a number of different pairs. I've always lent towards military boots, like the Danners and things like that. Um, but but I had an argument with my last pair of Danners um, when the sole fell off when I took them to New Zealand. Um, they were well made for Australian conditions, less well made for the New Zealand ones. So um, they didn't survive there. On, on one trip to New Zealand, ended up in a pair of boots that came from a an Australian. Um, brand hunting brand um i'd say they were rebadged these boots anyway Uh, they went to new zealand and didn't return either um uh, sadly on the top of uh, one of the southern alps trips i walked the sole straight through i could see the steel in the in the that was running yeah in one trip they were destroyed my wife was at the last year the steel plate they put through yeah so that was the end of those, uh, and I've I've ended up. One of the other guys uh, went over there the same trip, and he had a brand new pair of lowers, and um, they came back looking like new. Um, mm. Didn't have a mark or a scratch on them, and I went straight to the shop and bought the same pair of boots. Yeah, I've had them for probably three years now, and, and they're a great boot. But um, some don't like them, some do. Um, they've got to fit your foot, and lowers can be a challenge. 
for the wider foot. But um, if you take the time and heat them up and get them right, then you'll, you'll have a good boot, in my opinion. I bought, so when I was in the UK years ago, I bought these incredibly well-made uh, French boots, and they're actually like the 10-hole. They're quite a long boot, but mm. they had a squeak in them, and they're notorious for it. But um, they are fantastic for England. When you're in, you're in mud. You're going through water, you know, because when you're in England, you're wet. Okay, it's just like you, you might as well be scuba diving. You're wet all the time, all the time. You can't escape it. You can't kind of. You're not like, oh, we'll walk through this. It'll be wet, then we'll dry out. No, you start wet, and you'll stay wet for the day. And so, and there, and I, I actually leave them over there. They're over there. I leave them over there because um, it was no use carrying them back and forth on the plane in the end. But they are perfect for those kind of conditions. So fit for purpose is a real, real important sure. thing. And you know, the, and those really good quality hiking boots like Lower or Mindel, or as I said, I, I prefer the Zambaland. They're an Italian boot. They just seem to fit my foot very well. Mm. I think I'm on my third pair um, over the last fifteen that's, years or so. That's super important. I mean, all of this, the theme through this whole process tonight has been fit for purpose. You know, where are you going? What are you doing? You know, buy buy the right product for the for the right purpose for what it is that you think you're going to be doing. One of the one of the messages uh, we had a guide one year over in New Zealand, and he said, "You've got to have the equipment that you're comfortable with, that that makes you feel comfortable, that gives you the right sleep, that makes you feel okay after eighty, you know, after eight hours on the hill for the day. You know, that stuff enables you to hunt." Um, poor quality gear you'll spend your entire day just surviving and if you're just surviving you never get the time to hunt and enjoy the reason that you go there to start with so it's really important to get that stuff right yeah like there's a there's a, a particular american brand of pack that i've just bought for the first time and the last two months i've been wearing it between seven and eight hours a day all day and just basically usually you know four hours, three to four hours in the morning, a break, then three to four hours in the afternoon. And I must admit, it is a very good pack. It's got a pack frame system. It's one of the internal systems. Um, so, you know, it's actually, you, you can you could kind of flex it to suit yourself. But what I like about it is that it's built for, you know, a taller person. So one of the problems I've always had with shorter, smaller packs, as in literage, is they're also a bit shorter. So, you know, I could never get the real benefits of having a a, a hip belt yeah. because, you know, the, the distance between, you know, shoulder and hip on the pack was too small. Whereas this, I can actually use the hip belt properly and I can, so I can adjust the shoulders. So, and so then you can st- use, you know, the sternum strap and stuff and it all comes together. And I'm carrying more gear now because I'm doing video. So there's a fair bit of gear in it just for even for a small... And it's it's a pleasure to walk. You know, you just you just put it on. And the other thing is, because it's got that stiff, and I actually used it in another situation when I first got it, because it's got that very, you know, the internal frame, and it's a bit taller, I've used it as a rifle rest. You know, I've taken it off, spun it around, and put it in front of me, and, and sat behind it, and use it as a rifle rest. So it's it's a very, very good pack. And again, it's that fit for purpose. But it's taken me a number of packs to get there. And that's one of the problems, you know, or maybe it's not a problem, but that's one of the journeys of this is 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 getting 
getting the gear that really suits you because you kind of determine when you first start you kind of think what's this going to be about or or you get input from various people and they influence you but you actually need to get out there and start doing this and learn along and i think that leads really well to the the last thing i want to talk about which is you know the really important stuff which things like rifles scopes and binos because for most people it's the big investment and um unfortunately a lot of people get it wrong because like anything it seems that it's really affected by fashion and so people go oh you know this guy's carrying that rifle or this type of rifle so that's the right rifle for me and and away you go and so you know and look i've been hunting on 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 branch hunts and things like that where you know, God love him. The guy's gone out and spent a lot of money on a very, very fine piece of kit, but it's completely inappropriate for what he's going to do. You know, he's he's basically got himself a long range target rifle to mm. to walk to walk the forest and under. Now you can do it if you're incredibly fit and you like lugging around that, and you know, and and the things come together for you. But you know. A hunting rifle is one thing. A target rifle is another thing. And and no matter how, no matter how you try, it's pretty hard to get them both to line up. I I had a giggle one one mentor trip. I had a young hunter come along, very nice fella, and he showed up with his target rifle. And man, it must have been twelve kilos of gun. And and I just I said, you're gonna carry that? And he goes, it's the only one I got, man. I said, well, that's okay. We'll make it happen for you. Um, but man, at the end of that trip, he was looking for a an ultralight carbon stock fluted barrel, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure he's got one now. But that's all right. <laughs> the thing about a rifle is, um, you can build a rifle to to your requirements. So as long as you start with a good quality base rifle, you know, a good brand, good action, you can build it up. And in fact, that's what I've done with every rifle I've ever owned. I I, I, I do this thing, I buy a new rifle and go, okay, I'm not going to customise it. And three years later, I've customised it. Because, you know, even with, with like my Scout rifle, I, I said, no, nah, I'm buying this thing as is. That's the idea of it. It's just the beater. Trouble is, I kind of, you know, became very fond of it. And then I started spending money on it. And then, and then I did customise it. I think where you can't customize and you have to get that purchase right is with optics. Um, spending the money on optics is 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 I can't stress how how important I I think that is. You know, um, so for years I I hunted with Loophole and that fantastic brand make great stuff. There's no doubt about it and. Um, you know, I started with the VX3 when they were VX Roman numeral dash 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 before it was three. So I've I've got some old VX3 scopes, and they are purpose-built American hunting scopes. Great quality glass, great components. Got the lifetime guarantee. They work really well. But unfortunately, there's a guy who used to work for Queensland Gun Exchange who now works for Beretta by the name of Scott Allen. And one day, Scott Allen said to me, "Mate." I'll do you a deal on this Suaro scope. And that was the end of it for me. <laughs> in a way, I wish you I wish you I wish you never let me in on that secret, but he did. And you know, I I personally would have argued that there was no difference between a, a good quality 
uh, loopholed and a good quality European Skype or the, the difference was negligible and you weren't going to tell the difference. Yeah, unfortunately, that story didn't play out as soon as I picked up that Suaro. It was like, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. You know. You're on the Suaro train. It's a, it's an interesting one because I, I had this debate with one of my um, branch members uh, and a good friend of mine, and, and he is – I'm pretty sure he got his first Suaro on his most recent rifle – but he had my Opta before that, and that's pretty nice glass as well. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, yeah. To be fair, and I think a few of the guys in the branch have got his hand-me-down my Opta glass, and that's pretty good. But I was in the market for my next fashionable rifle. Uh, I, I'd lugged around a, um, a, a 270 uh, Remington 700, which was the first rifle I ever bought for shooting deer, which did the job for quite some time for me. And, and look, I'm not a gun enthusiast. Um it's funny to say that as a, as a hunter. Uh, for me, it's a tool. Um, it needs to be a walking stick, a shovel, and a rifle, and all of those things at the same time. I'm certainly not buying good wood. Um, you know, the timber is not important to me. I, I'm buying a synthetic stock. It needs to be hardy. It's going to get scratched up. It doesn't get treated very nicely. And when I gave it to my gunsmith, he said, I'm pretty sure you bought half of New Zealand back under that stock because the shit that fell out of it, uh, <laughs> I now get my rifle serviced by him once a year because if I can clean it as well as he can. But anyway, um, I was in the market for a scope to go on my new rifle, which was a Tika T3X and 7mm Rim Mag. And everyone was telling me to go Suaro, 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 get the best glass, you know. Um, but I just, I just didn't want it. Um, I had a different need. Uh, now, they'll tell me, go the Suaro. It's got the crispest glass you'll get the best light capture, you'll get that extra five minutes right on dusk. You know, no other glass is going to give you the same thing unless you're going to go to thermals. Um, but I, I can't say I've ever been in a situation where um, I've not been able to shoot an animal because it wasn't light enough. Because typically what you're seeing through your naked eye is darker than what you're seeing through your scope because your scope picks up more light collection. Yep, yeah, the light transmission, uh, yep. And uh, and I've always had a theory that is um, whatever you do, make sure your binoculars aren't as good as your scope, because if you can see them through your binoculars, but you can't see them through your scope, you're going to kick yourself all the way home. So just make sure if you can't see them through your binos, you're not going to pick your rifle up and see it anyway. That was one theory. But what I was trying to do is I do a lot of mentoring, uh, and by that I mean I take new hunters on their first expedition if you want to call it that to shoot their first deer and I, and I help them with that process I do quite a few few people a year uh through our branch and i needed to be the backstop so what that meant was in, in a lot of cases the, the mentee lines up and you coach them through the process and if something goes slightly wrong then you've got to be quick to act to finish that job for them Having better glass at night on in low light wasn't going to do it for me. I actually wanted the range finding scope. I went to a Sig Sawyer scope that oh, had okay. a that had a range finder BDX system so that I can range it and it auto adjusts the holdover point for me so that I can just quickly acquire a target at a distance. And and for me that was important because uh, I found that I had let more animals go at distance because I didn't want to take a 300-meter shot or a 350-meter shot because I wasn't sure of the judgment of that distance. Um, and even if I was, 
you know, there's a bit of work to be done to make sure that you're comfortable with ballistics to start with mm. reading your charts, changing, you know, and there's a bit of mucking around with it. And yeah, there's zero stops and there's all of those great things that you can you can get to make sure that you've got a scope that's capable of that. But this was fast. Zip, boof, off you'd go. And like and it was done. Uh, and that for me was a feature that was more important than than better glass or more light. But that's horses for courses, right? There's nothing wrong I with Suarez. They are brilliant. And well, I see they've brought out a range finding scope. There's, so it could be in trouble. The thing with, like, I think the interesting thing, for, well, certainly for me, is that, so I've got a Swarovski scope, but I actually don't like the Swarovski binoculars for some, mm. or my eyes don't like Swarovski binoculars. I actually uh, seem to be better suited to, to Leica binoculars in terms of, Optically, um, it's you know you're not going to like my rifles because my rifles are not like that at all. I do. I'll, I'll love your rifles. I, I, I just do, know they're I not for me. I do spend a lot of money on timber. I do oh, yeah. spend a lot of money on you know. I have invested a lot of money that I'll never get back on my left-handed rifles, and and people say, oh man, that things you know. And I said, look, if I had a Porsche. I drive it like it's a Porsche. So just because it looks pretty doesn't mean I don't use it right. And in fact, I actually, I actually think that's part of part. You know, I'm I'm completely comfortable using my rifles in any situation um, because they're they're in the end they're kind of built for me. So I've got them mm -hmm. down to me. And with the with the Swarovski uh, optics, especially the scope. Yeah, there's all that argument about light transmission and, and, you know, so, and I mean, and that does, re, there is some value in that when you think about um, most European countries have a very, very uh, start and finish time on light. So that those last minutes are really important. Mm -hmm. But what mm -hmm. I find it is, is it's that ability to bring that scope up to your eye and, and see that incredibly good picture very quickly so i tend so strange enough i tend to not have high magnification scopes i tend to shoot on somewhere between two and three power mm. i'm very much about a low magnification i want a bigger picture and um so for instance my suaro scope that i went through is only one one to six it's a small scope i mean it's it's, it's a smaller scope i run a two to ten on my 3006 but Get past four. The only time I ever crank a past four is when at the range I'm shooting paper. I actually want to, you know, have that that ability to see the red shots lean. That's um, indicative of the, your style of hunting, Mark, isn't it? I think you know, it is. State no, forest I, hunting. I, it's close that's quarters. It. That's it. I, I, to me, you know, and like a friend of mine, we've actually just put a red dot on his because you know most of that shot is under 100 meters, and it's it's shot within messy scrub and. The animal might yeah. be moving or it's about to move. So it's it's a fast acquisition. Um, that being said, I mean, you don't need to spend that, but I, I, I can't honestly say that oh, there's no difference. There is a difference. It, it is. It is. Oh, there's there's a, a there is a massive difference. Um, the only brand that I've ever seen, I've encountered, and I've, I've reviewed them a lot, and I, I'm an unabashed fan, is Steiner. They make some stuff that is very reasonably priced and you get a lot of bang for your buck. GPO is another one, but GPO stuff is um, 
It's very, very good quality. I've actually bought a pair of GPO binoculars when I was overseas because I was so impressed by these little binoculars. But a lot of their scopes are higher magnification, bigger front objective. They're, again, a European flavor. If they brought out something a bit more, um, you know, the smaller magnification, I'd probably be more inclined towards them. Um, but they are very good. But I find with the Steiner, especially um, currently in their binocular range, their older, cheaper range, which is the Predator, man, they're, they're, they are good binos for the price. They are really, really crash hot. So, And I, I tell people, people say, oh, should I buy this? I say, man, if you can find a pair of Steiner Predators, grab them because they are, they are fantastic for what they are. So, I mean, there is there – is, there is that kind of happy medium, you know, Myopta is one of them. There's what do they call them? Myopta Star. That's one of the ones. They're out of the Czechoslovakia, you know. They and they they made they've made good quality glass for years. Uh, Steiner, that's another one. GPO. There's that mid-range uh, European stuff that is really really high, really Zeiss. good quality. Zeiss, um, Zeiss maker, you know, a, 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 a both a very very high end. Um, like we're a bit past that, you know, like a closer to the, to the, um, Suaro. Of course, some of the, um, I mean, loophole is pretty much, you know, uh, 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 its name itself is going to guarantee a good quality scope. And then you get into the other brands, but I always think that, you know, you've got to get that optic right because you can, you can customize a rifle as you go. But that optic doesn't give you a lot of flexibility. You know, you can't you can't buy a two to ten and and, and improve it to a, something else. You know, you got to get that right. So, and and whilst the rifle and the uh, the the scope are one component, the binocular I actually think is almost almost as important, if not more important. Um, oh, you spend a lot yeah. more time on the binos than you will looking. Yeah, through the you do. Um, and even at closer range, like last week there was deer in the fog, you know, and I was using the binos to just try and get a, get an image of them. And, um, like I got down to with 30 meters of these deer last, last week, unfortunately that there was a bit of wire in between me and them. So I couldn't take them. Um, there's a boundary line, but you know, it was in that fog and being able to having good quality glass that let me see into that fog because with a camera, it was just a white out. But with the binos, you could actually see into it and see the animals. And that's, you know, and that's why I have a chess rig because it means the binos are always there. And even at, it doesn't have to be at long range. I use binos at all range. You know, if we see, you know, it might be there is that kind of discovery phase where you use the binos. But there's also, okay, there's an animal. Let's look at that animal and find out about it, you know shot selection where it's traveling what it's with that's where his friends are Hmm? yeah that's find find the first one and then you can go and find the rest well that's that's if there's one piece of advice i give to people when they hunt is that when you see the first one take a breather because all of a sudden more will appear you know you kind of get that that comes with experience mark yeah i've done it more than once you know (gasps) There it is. And then, like, you know, there's that pig. It's, you know, uh, there's that 40 kilo pig. I'm going to take it. Next to it is 100, is is the tonner that it's with, you know, yeah. but all you can see is that small one. So, so that's that, 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 that's a, that's a different podcast altogether, the approach. But I mean, for gear, that's about it. If you've got 
the consideration if you think about what gear suits your purpose and if you even if you don't know what your purpose is don't go out and make you know rash decisions on gear borrow it talk to people yeah, experiment especially if you're in a branch you know you're in a club not necessarily just the ada but others get into your branch um get to know the guys you know most of us have got uh facebook forums or various different other yeah. you know closed chat groups ask people what they're doing uh, i had this the situation this week where um someone piped up and said what pack are you running right what's your advice on packs and i told them what i was using and someone else piped up and said that they're using the same mm-hmm. one and all of a sudden this company's going to get four pack orders yeah um because you know people are they're interested and sometimes they just feel dumb asking the question i don't know why but ask the question people are all, yeah, always willing to help that's it and i think that's really you know explore that process but also don't let it get in the way of you having a go you know, sure. don't let don't let that because that's going to be the biggest learning that you'll ever have. You know, um, when you when you get your feet when you get there in your first state forest. I mean, I remember that you know those first state forest hunts I did. The first time I ever went into Severn, the first hunt I ever did in Severn, basically it was it was like raining goats. You know, they were just it was just like, is this Everywhere. it? Is this, you know, is this this? There was just animals, and it was just so exciting, and things were happening all the time and you know but what it, what it was it was dead of winter and i had a a completely inappropriate sleeping bag and i was freezing cold <laughs> so you know the very first thing the very next time you know i i had my old hike bag and i had a spare blanket it was absolutely wrong so went back the first you know the first real deer hunt i had the the quality binoculars i had at the time just didn't hold up in that kind of con- in that low light condition. So I thought, okay, I got to get binos. So it was all all a learning process. So, but you don't learn that until you actually get in there. So there's one thing right. I can stress is have a go. If you have got the license, feel confident in yourself and get out there and have a go. Mm, last on the last podcast, I, I suggested that people keep a journal. Yep. Um, and and that was around. Um, where did I see the deer and what were the conditions like and the time of day and all of those sorts of things. I used the same thing to just sort of remind myself about things that aren't working. It's really easy if you just carry a little notebook or something in yep. your pocket and that boot squeaks or I've got to remember to sort out the squeak on the right-hand side of my pack or these socks are terrible, you know, whatever it is, because by the mm-hmm. time you've, you've now got something on the ground, you've butchered it, you've gone back to camp, you've had a bit of a yahoo with your friends and a good time because you've been successful You've forgotten that stuff. And next yeah. time you come back, you'll go, God, I wish I'd only remembered to put spare batteries in my pack. This that's time. right. Something. The journal will come up more than once because I think they're really important, but that's that's my yeah, best. Look, I, 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 was actually, I was actually really impressed by your approach. I, I must admit I I'd, um, I, I, I had I, I don't put that much I didn't, don't put that much in it. So I actually thought that was really impressive, you know, that I tend to I suppose I'm, I'm far more experiential. I get out there and just absorb it and take it mm. from there. So, I, I mean, if that works for you, that is a really good way of building a picture about a place and understanding it and learning from it and actually learning about your gear as well. I learned about it on a on a podcast probably five or six years ago. There you uh, go. And I, I actually do it for my young fella, for my son. So each each hunt that I go on, I come back and I write a story, 
and it goes in my hunter's journal. And that's just a story about where I went and what I did. So, you know, at some point in time, you'll pick up that thing and there'll be a hundred stories in it for him to read and laugh about and hear about, you know, the fact that I was missing him when I was out there hunting and, and what have you. Now he's coming along and how exciting that is. He'll get it from my perspective later on. But he might also glean those tips and tricks about when the deer come out under the moonlight and things like that as well. So, sounds, like, um, sounds like a wholly smart idea to me. Oh, I just enjoy it. It's, it's a nice way to reflect uh, yep. after the fact. So, yeah. I think that's probably us, Mark. Yeah, I think we're done. I think that's gear covered. So um, uh, we will, let's have a quick think about what we want to talk about next week. Yeah, well, there'll be uh, – we'll make sure that I, we'll, we'll put a list together um, and we'll drop a link to the list in here somewhere. Um, if you've got idea. any questions, whatever platform this gets sure. posted on, There'll be yep. a way for you to ask questions and, and get some more information out of us. So feel free to do that. So let's talk about a specific, let's talk about uh, next week. Let's for let's talk about hunting a specific location. So let's give some details about hunting a specific location, a specific state forest. Okay. We'll, okay. We'll name that on the day. Yeah, let's name it on the day. <laughs> All right. Well, that's good. Thanks very much again. And we'll um, catch you on the next one. You too, buddy. Great talk to you. Thanks, Mark.